Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, it never returns void. And thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of both uh, soul and spirit and joint and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so we uh, ask this morning that you would um, open our eyes to what you'd have us see and open our ears to what you'd have us hear. In your name, amen. All right, well, we are in a series called Unshaken, and we're talking about Psalm 23, and if you've ever been to a funeral, they probably did Psalm 23 in that funeral. It's a very famous psalm, and it's a piece of poetry that was written by uh, David. And, um, and uh, if you missed last week, Travis Case uh, spoke last week. If you missed it, I highly recommend that you get the podcast or that you um, uh, watch it online. Uh, he did a fantastic job. I'll be riffing off of his sermon this morning. Um, but we, it's Thanksgiving week, right? So that means so many things to so many different people. Uh, and I realize I'm going to be talking about this morning preparing a table and I'll be using language about family and all these types of things. And I realized, uh, obviously, while I was preparing that not all of us are in the same boat as it relates to family. Some of us are single. Some of us will be having Thanksgiving alone. Some of us have to work on Thanksgiving. And so... Um, uh, what I would rather do is take the rich language of family as I relate to my family during this sermon, that if you're in one of those things, you would understand that the, the, the imagery that we're going to see this morning relates to the family of God. So no matter what your family dynamic is, no matter whether you're single or married or this is the third marriage or whatever, whatever your you know, blended marriage, all these things, that this language represents the family of God and God as your heavenly father. And so uh, I wanted to show you a picture. A few years ago, we had, uh, when we lived in Lakewood, we had uh, Lisa's family over for Christmas, okay? And this table, there's actually three tables, and I had to build them uh, because we didn't have tables that long. And so there's 22 linear feet of table there. It starts in the TV room, it goes through the dining room, and goes into the living room, okay? So like th that's how long the table was. Now when you see a picture like this, this invokes a whole bunch of different things. You might have a, a, a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal where it doesn't necessarily look like that. Or everything's great unless Uncle Frank shows up, all right? And it's like, is Uncle Frank coming? Yeah, he, he's coming. Oh, man, I, you know what? I, my spleen just fell out and I got to go get it uh, put back in or whatever. Um, and, and so, so, you know, there's, there's those dynamics. But to put on a dinner like this, to prepare this meal starts way, way, way before the actual meal. You all know that. You've all experienced that, if you've, even if you've had company over. If you have company over, it starts with, well, what's a good time for us? You know, and so we, you go over your own schedules, and uh, maybe your, uh, you know, your significant other checks their calendar, you check your calendar, you figure out who's going to do what and how it's going to go down. This started with, inviting Lisa's family over for Christmas dinner. It started months and months ago because people would have to know where is, it's going to be. 
And then we discovered that we had no tables, and so we decided, should we build tables or should we get the ones from Costco that fold and all that kind of stuff? But those seemed kind of flimsy, and we had kids, and I could just picture everything getting tipped over, and that's like all the fine china and everything on there going down. And my son was like eight at the time, and so he would have been the one to tip it over. I'm almost positive. Uh, so I built these real sturdy tables. And so I'm in my garage in September building tables for December and like figuring out, well, where's everyone going to sit? And then, then you figure out how, how it's all going to be placed. So last night I got done teaching a, a class on theology. And when I got home on the kitchen table were these place settings, little different kinds, because, to see which one's going to be the best one. Lisa was already planning, right? She's laughing now. She didn't know I was going to use her as an example. <clears throat> and this is why I was so angry, because I came... No, uh, but was... Uh, and you could see all the different little things. Why? Because she, she cares and wants to see how it's going to go. This starts long before. And then you figure out, okay, what's the meal going to be? You know, you go, are we going to do turkey? Are we going to do ham? Are we going to, you know, roast, a, a, you know, um, a, a steaks or whatever, whatever you're going to do for dinner? And then who's going to bring what? And who has allergies? And who doesn't have allergies? And you, then you look at all the different recipes that you're going to do. And you've got to go through your cupboards and realize, do I have paprika? No, I've got to go to the store and buy paprika. I don't know why I picked paprika. I'm, that's, now I don't... Have you ever done a word so many times you're not sure if that word even exists? I don't know if paprika even exists now. Okay. So you go and you look and you're looking for this and looking for that and you're just, you're just mulling over the evening in your mind over and over and over again. Where is grandma going to sit? She's in a wheelchair. How do we maneuver her around? And you make all those plans and are we going to have a kid's table or are we going to have them at the table or are we even going to invite kids? Uh, you know, you've got to go through... All these things, at least this is the way my brain works. Like, you know, we could get a sitter, you know, for Christmas. Okay, uh, anyway. Uh, and so you think, you're thinking about all these things. And then you figure out, okay, how are we going to serve the food? Is it going to be buffet style? Are we going to have someone serve it up? Are we going to, you know, how are we going to do that? Who, who likes to drink what? And who likes to eat what? And all these things. And then you start thinking of the personalities who are going to be there. Should we put Uncle Frank next to anybody or should he just be in the kids table you know by himself uh, who, who, who's going to sit next to whom and you're thinking about all the things and then you start thinking about who's going through what in your family and but it's not really the meal and the food and the tables it's these relationships it's the gathering it's the it's the being together and so even when all the food is done and all the tables have been made by somebody's bare hands, uh, it, it, even when all the place settings are set out, it's when you come and sit down and you begin to eat and you begin to talk and you begin to share stories about when I chased my sister with a knife. She always brings that one up. I was seven years old, okay? I didn't stab her much. So... Um, you come up with these stories that you remember about being kids, remember the time when, or people, you, you're remembering loved ones that may have passed. And the table gets real solemn, and people remember and go, man, I miss them. You might even leave an empty chair. Sometimes families will do that. 
that that's where grandma's always going to sit or that's where dad's always going to sit. And you just picture this table of abundance and of love and of sharing and of shared mistakes and shared hurts and shared successes because you're a family. God says this through David. You prepare a table before me. He's talking about your heavenly father. That your heavenly father before the beginning of time, and what we're going to do, it's kind of a different sermon. At the end, I'm going to give you a little bit of theology, okay? So that way you can leave and you can be all smart and you can say to your friend, what did you learn in church? Uh, we learned theology. You probably had some lame sermon. So you're going to learn theology, okay? But this is your heavenly father he's talking about. The one who thinks about these things. Thinks about what you need. Thinks about where you've been. Thinks about where you're going. Thinks about who you are. Your talents. Your weaknesses. Your strengths. Where your bents are and what needs to be fixed. This is your Heavenly Father preparing a table before you. Jesus says this. Uh, well, I'll get to that. Because what I really wanted to do is uh, reference what Travis said uh, last week about going through the valley of the shadow of death. I loved it. He said, God, isn't it interesting how God has us laid down in green pastures and quiet waters, but we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so what I want to tell you this morning, riffing off of that, is that while you're walking, he's preparing while you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, your heavenly Father is preparing. He knows what you're going through. He knows how difficult it is. He knows how dark it is at this time. And some of you, this in the sound of my voice, are now walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm here to tell you that while you're walking, God is preparing a table for you. And he's going to use those very things that seem so troubling now. Jesus said it this way. You're amazing. Thank you, babe. Um, I have to look up here. Ah, there we go. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Turn to your neighbor right now as my lovely assistant gets me my glasses um, and say, oh, there's going to be trouble. Go ahead. <laughs> For some reason, I just pictured Kramer from, uh, from uh, Seinfeld. Oh, there's going to be trouble. <clears throat> In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, I've overcome the world. While you are walking, he is preparing a table before you. My last two weeks, I can't use the word from the pulpit, were bad. Uh, I had a bad last two weeks. Um, it was just one thing after another. Uh, my car... Uh, broke down and I had to get it fixed and that was 1900 uh, 1200 bucks 
for that. Then the next day, I just found some really horrible news out that doesn't concern any of you guys. Uh, and that was just a bummer. And then I, like the high point was going to see my daughter in Arizona. And as many of you know, uh, this happened. Um, that is a, was a, uh, <laughs> a 2005 Dodge Caravan. Um, which was interesting because my wife said, this is how I feel when I drive it around anyway, you know? So, um, <laughs> but uh, minivans are not high on people's uh, love list. Um, but it was worse because that, that was, there was 12 of us in the, in the, in the you know, car accident. Um, but it, it even gets worse because I, I can commiserate now. I never get a chance to share my pains with you. Uh, the guy in front of me, while everyone was accidenting, uh, the guy in front of me actually was able to stop and avoid it. So that starts a whole new accident for which I'm responsible, right? See what I'm saying? So even when I'm talking to the insurance agent going, no, 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 you don't understand. There are 12 cars in this thing. And they said, was the car you hit, did it hit someone else? And I said, I don't like your questioning, actually. <laughs> because I think I know where you're going with this. And they might have been. I don't know. I couldn't see, right? But what happened was I bumped them, barely. <clears throat> and then the guy behind me hit me like that, right? And then shoved me into that. See, like, you see what I'm saying? It wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything. I was minding my own business. I just did a little love tap. Yeah, I'm glad you avoided the bam right behind me. Uh, at least that's what I told the insurance agent. But so they, that person hit me. A person hit them, and then that was a hit and run, and everything got that got. That was my that was my uh, Friday. Here's the here's the thing. While I was walking, God was preparing. I'm still walking, <laughs> and I'm like, what you cooking? Because <laughs> I'd really like to sit down now, okay? Uh, we had some other things happen this weekend. It's just been a, just been a, ugh. you ever have one of those weeks? You might be going through it now. You're like, yeah, those, those were called my 30s. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I understand. I understand. It's like, that's just a week for you. You get off easy. I don't know how he's going to use this. I really don't. And I, I can't see it right now. It just seems like a giant waste of money and now my insurance is going to go up and blah, blah. You know, you, we do all this in our mind. And he's there busy preparing. Oh, I know you're going through the valley right now. I know exactly what happened to your car. Is your family safe? Yeah. He's already preparing, right? Nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt in all 12 cars. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's like grace, right? which we'll talk about in a little bit. It even gets better, though. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, the very thing, check this out, the very thing that you're battling now, the very part of the valley that's difficult, will become the thing you dine with later. So, let's say right now you are in the valley of the shadow of death in your marriage. And it's a struggle. And you cannot see the way out of it. You can't see any sign of hope 
for your marriage? You can't see any, any, anything that God could possibly do because it's all his or her fault, right? You know, to, to fix him or her. Uh, you can't see anything like that. And it's been going on for a long time. God is preparing. And I've met many, many, many marriages that dine at the table that God has prepared, remembering the dark times and feasting in, right in front of the eyes of the enemy that would say your marriage is over. Maybe for you it's your finances. And this is a tough time. You got laid off. Maybe you've just been looking for a job and you couldn't find one. And you're just going through the valley of the shadow of death in your finances. And you're wondering, how in the world am I going to get out of debt? How in the world am I going to move forward? And God is preparing. He's preparing maybe your heart to look at money differently. Maybe preparing your heart to look at spending differently. Maybe he's working on you to say, not only am I preparing a a feast for you, preparing this table, but you're going to dine in the face of those finances and they will have no power over you because while you're walking, I'm preparing. Maybe for you, it's one of your children that you wish so desperately would come to Christ, would so desperately turn their life over to Jesus. And, and, and you know you've experienced the joy and the peace that that brings when you have a, a, like a vibrant relationship. Like you're sitting at the table and you're feasting with the Lord. And when you open your word, you hear him speak and there's, there's just relationship. And you just long for that for your kids. But they're acting the fool or they're making bad choices or they're chasing after other stuff. God is preparing. And there may come a day, it's going to be up to your kids at the end of the day, that there may come a day where you're sitting together before the Lord, feasting, going, remember when? And that while you were walking, God was preparing. God is working and wooing on the heart of your children, I guarantee it. We're going to see, I'm going to prove it to you in just a little bit with theology. Okay, He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That doesn't mean that it's like nanny, nanny, nanny. You know, we win, you lose. It's this, this reminder that, that that was once something I was battling. That was once something that I was struggling with. Some of you might be in the valley of the shadow right now in addiction. And it could be addiction to anything. And you're, you've tried and started and stopped and started and stopped. And you're trying and you're doing your best. And it just feels like the valley. God is preparing. And there'll come a time, and there can come a time, when you're at the table feasting in the face of that addiction going, has no hold on me anymore. Past the mashed potatoes. <laughs> and so these things happen, that God prepares this table before you in the presence of your enemies. In this class that I was teaching yesterday on uh, Wesleyan theology, there was a, a man there, and... Um, you know, we're all sharing different things about the Bible and God and all, all these things and, you know, going, going through different ideas. And um, this guy is just like so joyful. He's his older gentleman. Uh, I don't know how old he was. He was older than me, which makes him old. Uh, and so uh, this older gentleman, he's just full of joy. And he's talking about the church and he's talking about this. And then he says, oh man, I was, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol for 40 years. And I was like, you weren't. <laughs> like, 
what do you mean addicted? Like, I didn't say that out loud. That was just what was going through my mind. It was like, it just didn't seem right. It didn't fit, right? Because we all have our stereotypes, right? And our stereotypes are always right. Anyway, uh, and so I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And so uh, he starts sharing, and he was sharing about what God had done and, and, and how he made this wonderful statement about recovery. And uh, he was talking about that you're not, you're not saved from the addiction. You're saved to wholeness and to completeness, right? And I was looking at a whole complete dude. And he told a story about he went to a, um, a funeral for one of his buddies. Uh, not everyone gets out of addiction, and it ends up costing them. And uh, they had a big picture there, and all his friends were there. And uh, he was going through the, going through the picture, and, and he, he said, who's, who's that standing next to Pat? And his friends looked at him and said, that's you. He couldn't even remember himself. He didn't even know what he looked like. Do you know why? Because while he was walking, God was preparing And when he came out of that addiction, he was a new man, feasting with Jesus. Man, isn't that beautiful? God, I can't stand it. It goes on, you anoint my head with oil. We don't really do that anymore. As a matter of fact, if I come over to your house, you try to anoint my head with oil, uh, I'll probably just leave uh, because no touchy, okay? Uh, So, but... In ancient times, this idea of anointing your head with oil would be something that, that the host would do <laughs> for, for the guest. I, I, you can't laugh at your own jokes. Okay, uh, for the guest, because it was dry and it was dirty, and so you'd come into the house, and what would happen in, in great feasts is everyone would be anointed, and there'd be a fragrance that would happen. And so now you've got this table spread before him and you hear all the sounds of what it's like to be at a feast when you uh, are at Thanksgiving, if you're blessed to be around some other people during Thanksgiving and you just stop and you hear a little bit just all the clinking of everybody eating and all, just all those sounds and the sounds of, of all those people and the smell of the food. Well, in ancient times, you'd have the smell of the food and those things and then the scent of the oil. It's, a, it's the scent of abundance, the other thing that this is really awesome about that David did, and I don't know if he did it on purpose, I'll ask him uh, later, hopefully, uh, that because he's a shepherd. And what would happen with sheep is that they would get, when they were out in the fields, flies would come and they'd lay eggs in their eyes. I know. Oh. And, and those eggs would, would begin to hatch. And, you know, sheep, don't have opposable thumbs and can't like go, oh man, that's weird. That's gross. They, they start rubbing on, on things and it starts to drive them insane. And so what the shepherds would do is they put, they anoint oil all around their eyes to keep the flies away. And so you get these, this duality because this whole song, uh, this whole poem has switched, as you can tell, from language of sheep to language of, hey, now I'm at a table. It's also shifted from the Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down, he, and now it's you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. There's a fragrance of abundance in my relationship with you. One of my favorite verses about Jesus, because Jesus gets this rap of 
uh, of number one being white, which is weird because he wasn't, um, and, and number two looking like he's Swedish. I, I don't know why they all show Jesus that way, but the more ethnically correct we can get Jesus, the better off we'll be. Uh, and so, um, but it's like, it's like, so Jesus, you think of him and you see him in the movies, like kind of walking all pious and his robe was never dirty and he always knew exactly what to do. And, and so, but li- listen, listen to this. this. The writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus and he says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Jesus was joyful. As a matter of fact, he says, my joy, uh, he's like, then your joy will be full. Like, like, like the more you get to be like Jesus, the more joyful you should become. Not bored or pious or annoyed or spiritual. You should be joyful. This is the description of the table that God wants to prepare for us as the family of God. That we come and we feast and we see God for who he truly is. One who's been pursuing us. Who while we've been walking, he's been preparing. Here's the other thing he does. My cup overflows. In ancient times, they would do, a, uh, they'd do this kind of passive-aggressive thing where, um, let's say you all, all came over to my house, right? Uh, and so you're there and we have this big table and so the, the, I'd have servants, of course, because it's me and I think that would be fantastic. And, uh, and so they'll fill your cup and that, that basically, it does two things. One, it says, um, you know, here's some more, <laughs> obviously. The other thing it says, I want you to stay. I want you to stay. And so as the evening went on, they would begin to not fill your cup. To be like, yoo-hoo, ain't, ain't any more coming. So, hope you got a designated camel driver. And it's go on, right? So, it, they, they would fill the cup to say, you're, you're, you're welcome here. Now, the idea is that Jesus just goes, bam, and overflows. Like, just stay. Because the thing we cannot miss, we cannot miss with the 23rd Psalm, verse 5, is this. Jesus is at the table. He's not just preparing it and going, okay, see you later. We're going off to the movies. Uh, I hope you enjoy yourself. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to interact. He wants to hear about your valley of the shadow of death experience. He wants to hear about what you're going through. He wants to hear about your addiction and your marriage problem and your finance problem and your kids and all that. He, he wants to be engaged with that. He wants to be a part of your life. And he always has. And sometimes we get this idea that God is this, this angry being that, that is just waiting for us to mess up. And maybe, maybe you think your finances are because, you, because God's angry with you or your health because God's angry with you. Well, it might be that you were irresponsible with your health and your finances. But God doesn't operate that way. So what I wanted to do was go over a little bit of theology with just two camps of thought that you can just take home with you and think about. What do I think about with God? And there's two camps of how God relates to those who become saved or enter into a relationship with Him. One is called Calvinism. 
Okay, it was started in, by John Calvin, uh, and he was one of the reformers. And what he wanted to do was create a systematic way to read the Bible. You read it systematically. Everything builds on, on itself. And because what was happening was after the Reformation, there was kind of like turmoil everywhere. And so there was all these different groups of thought and nothing was like brought together. So John Calvin wrote, uh, so he started with a great heart. He wrote out kind of, this is the theology. And so it has five different aspects. And so for those of you, I, I believe, I always believe that there's many different types of learners listening to me each week. Um, some of you get a ton out of the poem that... Uh, Ajua writes, because that's just the way you learn. Other people are visual, so they like pictures. Other people are verbal. And others of you are just heady, and you love this kind of stuff. So uh, I don't do this much, so this is for you, heady people. Calvinism. It has five different things, uh, and they all spell uh, tulip, which is nice. It's a flower. Um, the, but here's the first one. Total depravity. Uh, you are totally, utterly depraved. You're worthless. Your sin, you don't, God, God shouldn't even, you don't even have an ounce of goodness in you. You are totally depraved. Now, you're like, well, Uncle Frank, maybe, but you know, I got some good in there, right? Not, not as far as Calvin was concerned. You're, t you're totally depraved. Um, and there's lots of subtexts under this, but this is, the, this is their doctrine, because we are not Calvinists, we're Arminian, and I'll explain that in a minute. Total depraved. I was Calvinist for about 20, 22 years, uh, but I, I guess I was predestined to be Arminian. Eh, that's a little Calvin joke there. Okay, sorry. Uh, the second is unconditional election. You cannot do anything to be saved. Nothing. You, it was already picked. It was predetermined. It was predestined. They get that out of Ephesians. I understand the, 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 the verse. Um, but you were, God said, Yes to you guys, no to you guys. So, so it would be like this. Uh, and this was my Wesleyan Theology project. I did a video where I was dad, and I had all three kids, Audrey, Emily, and Jesse. They were the actors. And my job was to pick who was going to be in the family. Uh, I, I had to pick. And so uh, we went through the tulip method, and Audrey didn't make it, and it turns out she's probably going to be the one that makes the most money. Dang it. Um, <laughs> So unconditional election means you can't do anything. God chooses. You don't. Third is limited atonement. Jesus died on the cross, but he only died for those people who were already predetermined. Okay, that, that's, that's, that's why limit, that, it has to be that way because he couldn't have died for the people that, like he was dying to save the people already picked. Okay, limited atonement. Uh, the next one is irresistible grace. Now all of the Calvinist things is wraps under the sovereignty of God. People who are Calvinists, like my dad, my, my dad is, uh, he's a Presbyterian pastor. He's, he's Calvinist. And so he's the one I joke with. I, I was predestined to be Arminian. But, uh, but, but it's, it's not quite as bad as this sounds. Like it doesn't mean that everyone's just fatalistic if you're Calvinist. You don't, you don't need to be that. Um, if, you, if you read anything from John Piper, John, John MacArthur, those, those are two uh, well-known Calvinists. Uh, irresistible grace. If God calls you, you cannot say no. It's irresistible. Why? Because you were already chosen before the beginning of time, and so you can't not be chosen if God chose you. That's irresistible grace. And the uh, final is perseverance of the saints. Let's see how many people have been Christians for a long time. I'm going to say, you're going to finish this sentence. Once saved, 
<laughs> you're all Calvinists. Good job. Uh, that's perseverance of the saints. That means that once you're saved and chosen, you can't unsave yourself. You can't not be. It, it's, it's, you're you're going to persevere because God, you can't undo what God has already done. Now, there's all sorts of verses that support some of these theologies, and we can get into it later. But what I wanted to get to was um, Wesleyan theology, because um, I think as you read your entire Bible, you'll get this picture of God. Instead of total depravity and uh, unconditional election, limited atonement, we, Wesley had these means of grace. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is, this morning is because I want you to go back to the table that's being prepared for you right now and see a God that knows he may be preparing a table you don't even want to go to. And yet, you kind of hear him wooing you. Some of you are here, you don't even know if you believe in God, but there's just something. There's just a, what I'm doing and working. This is what we call Pervenient grace, or in class we call it sneaky grace. <laughs> that God's in the background distributing grace so that you can hear his voice, so that you'll get that thought in your mind. And he does this before. Prevenient just means before you've decided. He's giving you grace. He's not giving you what you deserve. Not because you're totally deprived, you're just broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. When you go back to creation, it was supposed to be this relationship with God and it's broken. And God prevenes. He, he brings this prevenient or sneaky grace because God wishes that none perish but all come to salvation. That's what he wishes. For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, not those and these or that and this, whoever, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is this, this prevenient grace that God is, is trying, and you'll see it show up in your life in all sorts of ways. Even if you're not a Christian, you might, might, might be thinking about God in some way, or, or maybe you're like opening your Bible and you're like, you know, I should really get prevenient grace. The next thing is justifying grace. In fact, we don't deserve to, be, we are not completely holy. And so God sends Jesus as an atonement for our sin, to pay the price of God's death and resurrection on the cross, to pay for our, our sins. And so when God is preparing this table, he wants you to come and sit down and be a part of the family. And we do that through Jesus, through this justifying grace. And it's available to anyone freely. And so to become part of the family of God, all it, all it becomes then is not, well, I... You know, if God chose me, he chose me. It becomes this idea of like, you know what, Lord? I, I'm going to stop living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm going to live it for you. Thank you for dying for my sins. I, I want to be at the table. That's justifying grace. And then there's sanctifying grace. And that is, once you accept the Lord, you begin to see areas in your life where you're not quite like Jesus. Okay? Maybe you're angry a lot. Maybe you uh, struggle with jealousy, or maybe you, uh, you're real selfish or, or something like that, you know? And all of a sudden, there's this grace that God empowers you to be able to work on those things and become more and more and more like Jesus. You don't become more and more worthy of God's grace. God is a gracious God. That's his nature. 
You don't become more and more worthy, like now that I'm not sinning, now God can really be proud of me. No, this is what grace is all about. So as you think about the table that God may be preparing for you now, when you think about maybe the valley of the shadow that you're going through now, that you're walking through, God has been, is, and always will be preparing a table for you that you can freely join. Maybe, maybe this morning you want to start out by saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my first step. Hey, you've never taken a step to follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe this is your Sunday where you just go, you know what? Lord, I, I need you. I want to turn from my sin. I, I know what I've been doing is wrong. I, I, could, I could feel it, provenient grace. I could tell, provenient grace. And now I'm ready to take that next step, justifying grace. Would you accept me? And always, always, always. He says, not only do I accept you, I have a seat already prepared for you. And those things that you're trying to get away from and that the, your life and all this kind of stuff, you're going to dine in the presence of those things to know that now you're here and you're in the family. <laughs> 